to you later on, so carry on those lovely conversations that we started. Um, I heard a story about the uh, late, great boxer Muhammad Ali recently. Do you remember Muhammad Ali? What was he renowned for saying about himself? I am the greatest. He was a man not renowned for his modesty. Um, and the story goes that one time he was on an aeroplane and the, the plane was preparing for takeoff and the air hostess approached him and uh, pointed out he didn't have his seatbelt fastened. And um, this is, I, I won't do the voice. <laughs> I won't do the voice, but he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The air hostess was a very wise woman. She said, Sir, Superman don't need no plane either. I suggest you fasten up. Some people have inflated ideas of their own importance, don't they? Um, the greatest person to ever live, Jesus Christ, Son of God, arguably could be entitled to ignore the seatbelt rule. Um, in fact, traveling first class whenever he wanted. But as we're going to see this morning, that is not his way of doing things. Let me give you a little bit of context before I read to you um, from the Bible this morning. We are in a series of talks um, looking at glimpses of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. That's a book that tells us um, about Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. And at the point that we are going to start reading, um, he has been attracting a lot of opposition, um, mainly from the religious authorities. And in particular, he's just really offended them because he has healed somebody on the Sabbath. And uh, that was something that they uh, forbid, and um, so they're really upset. And they start a plot to discuss how they might kill him. So as we read on, we're going to read on in Matthew 12, and I'm going to be reading from verse 15. Before I do that, just let me pray for us now. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning um, we will experience you with us by your Spirit. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives constantly. And I pray that your, your word, your powerful word, would change us for the better this morning. Amen. So Matthew 12 verse 15, if you want to follow either on your own um, device or the words as you can see are up on the screen. So aware of this plot, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So Matthew records here how Jesus moves on, um, but he carries on healing people who are following him. 
And then Matthew, who's writing this book, um, just pauses at this point um, to quote from a book called Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 42 of Isaiah. And he does this to explain to his readers and to us hearing him today who Jesus is and the nature of Jesus' ministry. So this quote comes from one of what we call the servant songs. You might be familiar with those. They're all in the book of Isaiah. And these songs set out God's plan, his plan to bring salvation to all of mankind through this suffering servant, his true servant. And Matthew, like other New Testament writers, is in absolutely no doubt that this is Jesus. He's described here, this servant, as chosen by God, loved, delighted in, a servant who will save people by suffering on their behalf, sacrificing his life. Matthew says, here, this is Jesus. He's taking this moment to say, you know, this public career that you're, you're experiencing of Jesus, this ministry that is causing so much fuss, this is the fulfillment of that really ancient prophecy. So Jesus is God's servant. That's the glimpse of Jesus that we get this morning. You know, when Jesus was talking to his original set of disciples and he, he set out for them his mission statement, he said this, the son of man, that's, that's how um, Jesus refers to himself sometimes. He says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's take a look. Understand 
did. Jesus shook his contemporaries in the way that he did things. And it remains today completely countercultural to serve in the way that Jesus calls us to. And we're not going to sort of wonder. Um, these original disciples did. Um, they were looking for recognition. They were looking for status. The, the Bible tells us a story of when two of them come, and one of the stories, I love it because their mum comes as well. But, um, <laughs> they come to Jesus and they, they say, you know, we're not in your glory. But Jesus, could one of us sit at your right hand? Could one of, you, one of us sit at your left? They want positions of prestige, of power. And this is how Jesus responded to them. He showed them just how wrong they and we it was. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then this verse that I quoted earlier. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, that's hard, isn't it? But you know, many of us, when we've been given opportunities to serve in some way, may have thought, well, is this going to be an important role? What kind of job title do I get? Can I be in charge? At the very least, we may have thought, well, are people going to notice what I'm doing? Will I get recognition for this? And then maybe you've had that experience of sitting out, standing outside in the cold and the rain, wearing a high-vis jacket, and realizing, actually, this is the pinnacle of your career, including the cross. Interesting that the followers of Jesus in the early church really embraced this identity of being a servant. Um, so, for example, the Apostle Paul frequently referred to himself as a servant or a slave, even, of Christ. He does this in his letter to the church in Rome. And in that letter, he actually goes so far, so far as to say, we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That verse might be familiar to you. Let me read it to you in the message version of the Bible. He says this, Take your everyday, ordinary life, from sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So I have a question for all of us this morning. Are we servants? Or are we people who serve? not sure of the difference. I'm going to ask us some questions just so that we can try and work that out. First question is this. What is my attitude of mind? You see, when you serve, you decide um, where and when you're going to spend your energy anyway. So you might decide, well, once a month, I'm going to serve on this particular team here on, at, uh, on Sunday morning. And uh, maybe because I'm a, a very nice person, I'm a charitable person, I'm a giving sort of person, I like to give away 
a little bit of my time. I like this sort of life running. Um, I hope you do need it. But, you know, I still get to keep all of my likes, all my dreams, all of my own selfish ambitions. And when we do that, we're not giving 100%. Myself thinking like this sometimes. On the way to church on a Sunday morning, and I'll think, oh, it's not week four, I'm not standing on the welcome desk, and uh, I'm not leading the service this morning. Oh, my heart's beating. But if I'm a servant, and the word is actually doulos in the original, which means slave, well, then my whole approach to life is totally different. If Christ owns everything, literally, literally everything, then I am loose change in his pocket, and he can serve me at the wrist. And he can call me to anything he chooses, really he chooses. He made that clear in a story that we call the, the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, passing on by on the other side. It was not Jesus' breath. It's desperately inconvenient to stop. It's messy. It is undoubtedly Jesus' way. So, my question is, am I... Excuse me. <coughs> Trying to get from my cough. <coughs> my question is, am I willing to sacrifice my agenda, my timetable, in order to serve him? Second question is, who do I spend my time with? You know, one of the things that really, really wound up the religious authorities about Jesus was he mixed with all the wrong sort of people. Tax collectors and sinners in the language of the Bible. And that's true, isn't it? Jesus welcomed the outcasts of society. He touched the untouchables. And today society tells us that's just not the way to get on in the world. So are we taking opportunities to meet with those who are most in need of Jesus? Jesus' model of being a, a servant. Um, for example, one of the things I notice about him is he never presumes what people's needs are. But he asks people, what can I do for you? Even when it seems really obvious. So there's actually a story in the Bible about Jesus passing by a blind man sitting by the side of the road, and this blind man's calling out, you know, because he knows this guy's need. people in my life, um, you know, just, Lord, would you show me how I can be a good friend to so-and-so, because I, I don't know what, what they need. Sometimes, but my friend will tell me. We're empowered by getting to say, you know, this is 
is what we want. This is what I need. And by making our own choices, you know, people who are most in need are completely disenfranchised. Um, people receiving handouts get no choices. I, I experienced this for myself when I was growing up. As a teenager, my um, father got very poorly with uh, tuberculosis, and he was in hospital for a very long time. And while he was in hospital, he got the sack. He lost his job. And uh, we had to sell our house and buy our food. And the council very kindly provided a house for us. Um, we didn't get to choose it, but uh, they provided us with a two-bedroom house, and that was wonderful. And I got started to get free school meals. And I also got vouchers for just you know, my school uniform. I don't know how this works these days, but in those days you got vouchers. Now, the thing about those vouchers is you could only spend them at the co-op. And my friends got their school uniform from John Lennon. And you know, that's just nice, isn't it? Nice, I must say, is a relative term when you are dressed from head to foot in wattle green, which is so not my colour. The John Lewis school cardigan, I remember it to this day. It was just so much nicer than mine. Asking people what they need and also what they deny honours the dignity of people that they're serving. I had the great honour of serving the same lady in the storehouse on a Thursday morning um, over recent months. And her children eat curly pasta. Okay, straight pasta oatmeal. If she, were, if she were going around a supermarket for herself, she would not choose spaghetti. So it is lovely that we have been able to bless her with Brazilian. Thank you, whoever donated that. Isn't that wonderful? That is one of the values of Storehouse. It's one of the values of the way that we want to serve people. We can't always give them exactly what they want, but we really try ever so hard. And then my final question, in terms of us as to see whether we are servants this morning, is am I expecting thanks and recognition? Jesus wasn't in it for the recognition. He actually tells people not to go away and publicize these miracles that he's doing. And he was totally undeterred by ingratitude. There's an amazing story in Luke's Gospel where we're told that Jesus is walking along the road and he meets ten lepers. Thank you, Luke. And um, he heals them. He heals them. And the story records that only one of them said thank you. You know, you might have had that experience. Not the lepers, probably, but you know. But you know, people welcome us thankfulness. Sometimes we give them incredibly wise advice and they ignore it. Sometimes we lay something on for them and they don't come. Sometimes we arrange a pause, a meal, an event, and people don't turn up, and it happens. But you know, in Luke's gospel, it doesn't record that when Jesus had that experience and said, right, that's enough of this healing mark, I am really not appreciated here. I've had enough. Servant, 
what I need to do is check that I'm actually doing something that people need, but then it keeps going. People are not doing it. So I want to begin to bring um, this talk to a close by returning to those servant songs we looked at last week, one of those songs at the beginning. And the most surprising but the most important aspect of the servant hymn is um, that he demonstrated in his service absolute, ultimate obedience in that it led to his death. This is um, the message version of the verse that we looked at earlier. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. This is foretold in those servant songs, and it's not at all the sort of victory that was expected of the Messiah. A crucifixion sounds like a humiliation and a defeat, and it certainly sounds really hard to understand. But you know, Jesus' ultimate obedience, going to the cross, enabled all of us he walked on this earth, out of sheer mercy and grace, he poured out his life for the utterly undeserving and the completely ungrateful. And then ultimately, he literally gave his life, taking the punishment that we deserve for all our wrongdoing, so that we could be free, free to have a relationship with him to be the sort of people that we were created to be. If you don't yet know Jesus, then right at the end, I am going to pray a prayer that you can join me in, where you can just say to him, you know, I need your grace and mercy. And you know that he'll meet you with me in a gentle and kind way. And this is a free gift. It's a free gift. We don't need to serve Jesus in order to enter into this relationship with him. It's just that once we're in this relationship with him, we love him so much that we want to serve. And for those of us who um, consider ourselves Jesus' followers this morning, and who are trying to live our lives following his example, <laughs> this really sounds tough and challenging, doesn't it? First thing to reassure you, is that in the passage we read, it's clear that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And amazing as it sounds, we have that anointing. And the second thing that I want to reassure you is that it's true that some of Jesus' followers have met their death in his service. But those really big decisions don't belong there. Most of the assignments he sees are there pretty tough. There's a phone call he wants you to make. There's a person he wants you to visit. There's a dishwasher that doesn't want you to empty. There's a difficult conversation you need to have or a relationship to reconcile, a prayer to pray. Nobody might notice what you're doing. Maybe no one will say thank you. And because what you're doing is so counter-cultural, you might find that people think you're a bit mad, and they might criticize you for it later. But you know, Jesus is 100% clear of his heart, and he asks that we, as his 
And at the end of it all, you'll get to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. And what we achieve in terms of results will be irrelevant, really. What will be important is whether we do what we were equipped and we were asked to do. Jesus said that whoever comes to him, he will never drive away. And if you're here this morning and you feel him calling to you and you think, yeah, yeah, I want to be in relationship with you, Jesus, then you can pray this prayer with me in your heart as I read it out now. Heavenly Father, I respond to your invitation, and I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. I come with all my heartaches, all my sins, all my addictions. I turn away from that, and I turn to you, Lord Jesus, and I put my faith in you. I believe with my heart my Saviour, my Lord, and my God. Thank you for having accepted me as your child. And I open myself to your Holy Spirit and say, I want to follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, then um, while everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed, you can just catch my eye and look around the room because it's just great to acknowledge what you've done and um, it would be great to speak to you after the service to talk about next steps that you might take. Thank you. I want to pray, come Holy Spirit. To what it means to be like Jesus and to have that same attitude as mine. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I need him.
would you forgive us when we serve and yet hold back on so much? We just want to repent of that and turn this morning and be your servants. Thank you for your gentleness and your kindness as you mature us as your servants. You develop us. you this morning and he delights in each one of us and he delights in us for who we are, not what we do. He loves us as his dearly beloved children. He delights in your availability. He delights in your willingness. He delights in in you for energy, for vision. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir up in us all that we need. Thank you that you equip us to do all that you ask us to do. And we ask for more. We ask for more. So we know if you are um, receiving, having a conversation with God right now, Jesus to do for you today, and then we'll pray for you.